Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. Good evening to you, and hope your day and week is going uh, really well. As is our custom, we'll have a brief word of prayer. Appreciate your interest in these things which are sacred and divine. And we'll get right into God's word here in just a second. Let's all bow together. Oh, Holy Father, as we open up your word, we pray that you would open up our hearts and minds. Oh, Lord, we pray that as we seek to be close to your side, that you would help the meditations of our heart, that you would help them to be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, we're so grateful for your greatness. We're mindful of your power, of your righteousness, holiness. We're mindful, Lord, of your great love and mercy toward us. Thankful, Father, that you seek to communicate to us of your will in these pages of the Bible. Most grateful, Lord, for the death of our Lord. Most grateful for the plan of salvation. We're humbled, Father, by what you have done for us in so many different ways, especially at the cross. We're thankful, Father, for your power displayed in the resurrection of Jesus. Thankful, Father, for all the sacred events that build our faith. Lord, now we ask your blessing upon our little ones as they study. We pray, Father, that we might be the example to our children, to our grandchildren, and to our neighbors and friends, brothers and sisters, as we ought. Lord, we see the evil in our world. We pray that you would first help us not to participate, and you would help us to be a help, Father. Help us to shine your light brightly. Help us to be ready uh, to share your faith. Lord, as we study this evening, our thoughts will be on you and your will and on the hope that we have in you. Thank you so much for this. Lord, our hearts are also upon those among us that we know of that's on our list as being sick. We pray for those Things that are being done, treatments and the love and care and medicine, whatever is being done, Father, we pray that it will be most beneficial. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll be in 1 Thessalonians 4, looking uh, beginning at verse 13. Paul speaks quite a bit about the second coming of Jesus, especially to these people in Thessalonica. 
If you notice in chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, he says, We serve a living God and true God, and we wait for His Son from heaven. See that verse 10, chapter 1? If you look at 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20, you see Paul saying these words, What is our hope or joy or crown of, of glory? Are not even ye before our Lord Jesus at His coming? That's 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 19. Look at chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 13. Paul says, To the end that He may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. And so again here in chapter 4, Paul's going to discuss the coming of our Lord. If you look at chapter 5 even, uh, verses 1 and 2, concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I ought to uh, that ought be written unto you. Uh, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. And so the brethren here in Thessalonica are concerned about the second coming and also about those who have died in Jesus. If you look at chapter 4.13, notice it says, them that have fallen asleep. Also verse 14 speaks of those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Again verse 15. Those who are fallen asleep. See that at the end of verse 15. You know that is a metaphor for death. It's a beautiful metaphor for death. We are not scared of going to sleep. We look forward to sleep. And so in the same way, we look forward to the sleep of death. Just as our regular sleep is temporary, so will be the death of sleep sleep of death, because the sleep here in death is not referring to our soul, it's referring to our body. We are very much alive, still alive, after we pass from this life. But our body sleeps until that day when God will raise us up. And so it's temporary. The sleep of the body in death is temporary. It's falling asleep. Uh, you remember, if you want just cross-references there, you remember when Jesus was talking about going to, to uh, see Lazarus, there in John 11, verse 11, uh, he said, our friend Lazarus is asleep. Okay. Jesus knew that he would die, but Jesus also knew what he was going to do uh, when he got there. Okay. These brethren here in Thessalonica, they have come out of idolatry. Thessalonica is not too far from the famous Mount Olympus, probably about 40 miles or so. And um, that is the, the mythological home of the Greek gods. And a lot of these folks who come to Christ were once involved uh, in this type of idolatry. If you look at, again, Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, verses 9 and 10, Paul says, um, they themselves report concerning us what manner of entering in we had unto you, 
how you turned unto God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. All right. So let's look at 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 13. I have a purpose. I don't want to express that purpose right yet, just in case I don't get there. Okay. And when we have a class and it's open to discussion, sometimes I will express a goal and I never get to that goal, and then it just aggravates me. So let's, not, let's, let's see if we can get there. Verse 13. We would not have you uh, ignorant. Chapter 4, 13. We would not have you ignorant, brethren. Now he's talking to brethren here. Okay. Would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them that fall asleep, that you sorrow not, even as the rest who have no hope. Let me ask you, how strong is your hope? How strong is your hope? How strong is your hope? In Jesus, how strong is your hope? And how many, how many hopes are there according to the New Testament? How many hopes are there? Just one, Paul says. Ephesians 4, verse 4. Remember that? The seven ones. There is one body and one spirit. Even as you are called in one hope. One hope. If you jump back to uh, the book of Colossians chapter 1. You can read about that hope. Look at uh, Colossians 1, verse 5. Paul says, I'm writing because of the hope which is laid up for you in the heavens, whereof you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Notice in chapter 1, verse 3, Paul says, We give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, Verse 4, having heard of your faith in Christ and of the love you have, now wait for it, and of the love that you have toward all the saints because of the hope uh, that is in you. Okay. So they have faith, hope, and love that's just laid up for them in heaven. Several passages here in Colossians 1 about the hope uh, that is ours. If you look at Colossians 1.23, you see that? Paul says, If so be that you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard and which was preached unto all the creation under heaven. There are many of these references to the hope. But I ask you, how strong is your hope? How strong is your hope? And how often do you think about it? This response to the gospel we have made is to establish a strong confidence and hope toward moving on from this life. How strong is your hope? Looking back to verse 13 in chapter 4, let me ask you, is it wrong for Christians to sorrow? He says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, that you sorrow not. Okay. Is it wrong for Christians to be sorrowful at death? What are your thoughts? Mark, shaking your head no. Why are you saying no? Jesus All right, very good point. Jesus wept, John eleven thirty five, when he went to, to show sympathy toward the family and friends of Lazarus. 
But the key phrase here is what? Yeah, even as. Even as. Even as others who have no hope. Okay. What is the idea of even, even as? What does that tell you? That you sorrow not even as, or sorrow not to the degree of others, or sorrow not uh, in the same way as others. Okay. So here in verse 13, what two groups then stand out? What two groups of people stand out? The ones who are ready for death and the ones who are not. Okay. The informed and the uninformed. Okay. Those who have hope and then the rest. The rest. The saved and the lost. That's right. Now, you've been there and I have too. When you go to a funeral service, Hardly anybody being talked about is of this other group. Most everybody that's being discussed at a funeral is going to heaven or going to go into a better place. Okay. That's the world in which we live. There's no condemnation to those who breathe. Okay. And, but it's, not, it's just not the case. Not everybody has this hope. Only, as you guys have spelled out, only those in Christ, only those who are saved, only those who are informed to the degree of obedience. Verse 13 gets us started. Chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians 13, 4.13. So let's go on to chapter 4, verse 14. Paul says, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, some translations have, instead of if, the sense is since we believe. Okay. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also that have fallen asleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Now, every word in these passages is just very, very meaningful. Okay. But I want us to see... First of all, the, the fact that we are grounded and founded on what Jesus has done for us. You know this, okay? But it's really good for us to review this. Okay. We are grounded and founded upon uh, Jesus and his work on the cross, his resurrection, his suffering in our behalf. Be having your Bibles marked and turned, um, at least hold it with your finger, at 1 Corinthians 15, uh, chapter 15. We'll need to refer that to there um, a couple of times. Chapter 15, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. Paul says, I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He has been raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Same chapter, if you look down to verse uh, 12 and after, now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, neither has Christ been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Here we go. And your faith is also vain. Verse 15, 
Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we witnessed of God that he has raised up Christ whom he raised, if, whom he raised not up if there be no resurrection from the dead. Or if the dead are not raised, verse 16 of chapter 15, then neither has Christ been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is vain, and you are yet in your sins. We are all men, we are all of men most pitiful. Pitiful. Uh, verse 18 says, They also that have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Okay. And so if Christ has not been raised, if Christ has not died and suffered for our sins and not been raised, then it all goes down the drain. We know that that happened, and so our faith, as Paul says in both of these places, is grounded and founded upon our Lord Jesus. Either that or almost miserable. Almost. As good as it gets, we ain't going to get no better after this. Yep. Okay. So, all right. So notice what Paul's saying here in verse 14 of chapter 4. He's saying, well, we're grounded on this, but also there is a... There is a uh, connectivity, a unity between what we believe. Okay. If you believe this, okay, then you must believe this. If you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, died for your sins, rose from the dead, then you believe also that he's coming again and going to receive us to himself. Okay. There's a connectivity between what we believe. If we believe, for instance, that, that God created this earth, then, and we do, then, then there's nothing limited to God. He can easily create another world for us. He, he has, he is doing that beyond this life. Okay. In Mark chapter 2, when they brought the man on the stretcher down through the roof, Jesus asked, which is it easier for me to to say and do, for tell this man to take up his stretcher and walk or to say that your sins are forgiven. And he said, so that the world may know that the Son of Man on earth has power and authority to forgive sins, I say unto you, take up your bed and walk. Okay. Jesus is showing that he had the power to deal with the effects of sin. Sickness is the consequence of sin. If he has the power to deal with the consequence of sin, he has the power to deal with the, with the power of sin, with forgiveness of sin. He has the power to help us overcome sin. So notice the unity, the solidarity between what we believe. If you believe one thing about God, you've got to believe all of it about God. Notice the solidarity between, between the past and, and the future. If you believe in the past, Okay, the suffering death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and everything else he has done on this earth, all his miracles and wonders. If you believe the past, if you're certain about that, then you're going to be certain about your future, what awaits you beyond uh, this life. Okay. Think about the solidarity between how that God took care of Jesus when he went to the grave. And so that's spelling to us, that's telling us that when we go to the grave, God's going to take care of us. Okay. So since you believe that Jesus died and rose again, then the, your faith is automatically enhanced. Okay. So notice the, 
solidarity between that. Notice that, that death does not destroy our relationship with Jesus. Okay. When we die, then we are with Jesus. Okay. That is not destroyed. You know, sometimes it's very ugly, but that does not affect the power of Jesus to take care of us after we die. You might remember those questions at the end of Romans 8, beginning in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulations or anguish or persecutions or famine or nakedness or pearl or sword? Any of those things? No, we're all more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm persuaded, Paul says, verse 38 of Romans 8, he says, I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth or any creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Folks, when we say goodbye here, that doesn't affect our relationship with Jesus one iota. It just enhances it. And so notice the solidarity of faith, the unity of faith, the connectivity of faith here in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 14. Okay. Now, at the end of this chapter, or in the end of this paragraph here, end of chapter 4, you see Paul's going to say, wherefore comfort one another with these words. Have you been comforted yet? I mean, notice just verses 13 and 14. Does it not give you great, great inspiration, great hope? Don't you see that hope is exclusive for us who are in Christ? Notice at the end of verse 14, going back to 1 Thessalonians 4, he says, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, we will also believe what? What's the end of that verse say? What does it say? Yeah. Those that sleep in Jesus, what? Am I in the same chapter as you are? Let's see. Yeah. Even so, them also that have fallen asleep in Jesus, will God bring with him? That's a powerful statement there. God will bring with them those who have fallen asleep in Jesus, those who have died in Jesus. Where are they at? Where are they? With the Lord, okay, which fits perfectly these other passages that we refer to so often, like uh, Paul in Philippians 1, 22-ish and 23-ish, for me to live as Christ and what? Die as gain. I'm in betwixt between two things, okay. having a desire to depart and be with who? Be with Christ, which is far better Nevertheless, to abide in flesh is more needful for you. But Paul just fully expected when that departure comes, he is with Jesus. That, that is parallel to what's being said here in chapter 4. 2 Corinthians 5, same thing. Same thing. 2 Corinthians 5, verse, verse uh, 6 through 8. Okay. Right there in the middle of that, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, We walk by faith, not by sight. Okay. That's okay. Because we have... 
We have the past. If we're certain about the past, we're okay with what's coming. But Paul says there in 2 Corinthians 5, while we're at home with the body, we're absent from the Lord, but when we depart from this body, we are at home with the Lord. So, yes, those who have fallen asleep in Jesus are with God. Okay. The uh, thief on the cross who uh, turned from his sin, what did Jesus say to him about where they were going? Yeah, he said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Call it what you will, but you're with the Lord. Okay. If you die in Jesus, you're going to be with the Lord. You can call it being with the Lord. You can call it paradise. You can call it Abraham's bosom. Okay. Frankly, you're not going to care what they call it once, once you're there. You're going to love it. And you're going to wonder, why did it take me so long to get here? God will bring with them what's happening. What's he talking about? Judgment day, second coming. This is what's going to happen. When the Lord decides to execute judgment day, these folks in Thessalonica are wondering, what about my loved ones? What about my, my friends who have passed on? Okay. They've fallen asleep in Jesus. Okay. I've, I've watched their bodies go into the grave. Okay. Is, if the Lord comes while we're alive, will our reward be greater than theirs? Since we're alive, Paul's saying, no sir, bobtail. No, when he comes again, he's going to bring them with him. So, so we're in chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians, and now we're heading toward uh, verse 15. Any thoughts, comments from verses 13 and 14 before we enter in this next phase? Very welcome because we... There's a lot of great thoughts here, and, and um, these are some good ones. Okay, Miss Susan's saying everything's better when you're in Christ, both here and there. So very true. Who would not want to be in Christ? And don't you have a great deal of, of uh, uh, concern for those who are not in Christ? They have no hope. Ephesians 2.12 spells that out really clear. Having, they're without God, without Christ, having no hope. But Ms. Susan's saying, so much better to be in Christ. It's great for now, and it's even greater then, after this life. Remember Paul talking about godliness in 1 First Timothy 4, 7, and 8. He says godliness has the promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Has promise of the life that now is, this life, and of that which is to come. Somebody asks you, what are you doing? Just say this and that. That's what you're doing. You're in Christ and it's the best way to be for this life, but you're preparing for that life. Okay. So being in Christ is the best place to be no matter uh, where you're at. Okay. 
All right, so we're at chapter 4 now, verse uh, 15. Before we get there, let me tell you what we are, we're going to be able to refute here. There's a terrible, terrible uh, false doctrine about the second coming. It's, it's the rapture. You've heard the rapture stories. And uh, it goes something like this, okay? That Jesus is going to come in some kind of secret way. And when he comes to this earth in this secret manner, he's going to raise the righteous dead. And then after he raises the righteous dead, there's going to be seven years of tribulation on this earth like we've never seen before. And that seven years is going to end with the, what they call the battle of Armageddon. And that's going to set things up for Christ to reign in Jerusalem for a thousand years. That's just part of the scheme. Not one bit of that is true. It's all myth, and I know books have been written, and movies have been made, and they have just wasted their time totally because it's not taught. They go to, they actually go to this chapter to try to prove all that, but it's just not here as you will see. So as we read, notice that Paul is wanting us to have certainty about the second coming, now he's going to give us some procedures. He's going to say, well, here's the order of things. Here's how this is going to go. Right. So he's already started with it when he says he's going to bring those who have died in Jesus with him. Verse 15 says, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. And Jesus talked about the second coming quite a bit uh, while he was here, and we won't chase those passages down. But... Um, we say this unto you by the word of the Lord, that we that are alive, ye that are alive, we that are alive, and that are left unto the coming of the Lord, shall in no wise precede them that have fallen asleep. Okay. So if you're concerned about your loved ones as these folks were, okay, then he's going to bring them. And they're not going to be left behind. They're not going to be left out. Okay. They're not going to be bamboozled. They're not... They're going to be right there with the, with the Lord. In fact, if anything, they're first. They're first. God will bring with them. They're not, we're not going to precede them. In fact, at the end of verse 16, notice that the, the dead in Christ, is that what it says? The dead in Christ shall rise first. Yeah. So when the Lord executes the judgment day, he's going to be bringing these spirits with him, these, these souls with him, those who have passed on. Okay. A lot of them will be our loved ones. Okay. He'll bring them with him. And the first thing he's going to do is he's going to bring their bodies out of the graves. And he's going to change those bodies into glorious bodies, reunite those glorious bodies with those souls. And now they're ready for heaven. Then about the same time, those who are alive on the earth at the time will have an, a change. Their bodies are going to be changed. And then together, there's going to be a great gathering in the sky. Together, those who have gone on before and those who are still alive on earth will be meshed together, ascend up into heaven, ascend to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Okay. So, verse 15 is all about that scenario. And Paul gives the order here. But there's no separation. 
no separation of the of the rapture, like the rapture folks talk about. No separation. It's and then when Paul is just discussing it here, brethren. He's saying, now, brethren, here's what's going to happen with us. Okay, at the same time on Judgment Day, the wicked are going to be raised from the dead, but their fate's going to be much different. Paul's not discussing that here in chapter 4. Okay, he's got other places he discusses that, such as 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9, and so forth. Okay. But all this is happening at the very, very same time. Okay. Now, verse 16, go ahead. Yeah, that parable relates to what we're talking about. Parable of the tares. So verse 16 then is a very noisy verse, isn't it? The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel. Who's the archangel? Michael. Jude verse 9. With the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. Now, this is nothing secretive about this, right? If you're wanting to keep something secret, you don't blow a trumpet. You don't shout. That's not how I keep a secret. That's not how I do things secret. I don't blow a horn before me. This is, this is a very noisy day. It's, the Lord's coming is going to be personal. The Lord himself. It's going to be audible. It's going to be visible. Visible. Revelation 1, verse 7 says, He comes in the clouds and every eye will see him. Okay. There's not one thread of this that is secret. The whole world will know about it. Okay. Very audible. To add to that, um, as I said, we could add so much to this, but in 2 Peter 3, verse 10, Peter says, 2 Peter 3, verse 10, The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. Noise. So, now, the day is going to come. We don't know when the day is going to come. But once it comes, we're going to know without a doubt that it's here. The Lord himself shall descend. what he said in Matthew 24. Even the son doesn't know. It's an, uh, Miss Julie saying, it's an attachment to the earth. That's one thing. And, and there's um, the possibility of, um, of waking people up that, that are not right. Giving them another chance. Well, I don't know. I don't know what he's supposed to do in, in a thousand years. But
says God did not give us the spirit of fear. I know all of them Okay. Right. So they're trying to, you, so you're saying that part of this um, scheme is to scare people into? Uh, into correct behavior. Into correct behavior. Yeah. Was that 1977? When I graduated. Hal Lindsey's book had a lot to do with some of these uh, schemes and, um, and the movie. He made Revelation vivid and, and alive. Right. That's a good point. The, the interpretation of Revelation, which admittedly is you know, very difficult sometimes, that's part of it. That's part of the, the, the myths and the stories that are created. Okay. The uh, one thing to remember in, in Bible interpretation, the, the plain things are the main things and the main things are the plain things. Okay. And that's where people get off. They, they take the things that are mysterious, and we all admit, admit they're mysterious, but they, they start there. That's their starting point. And then they try to make the, the plain things fit the scenario of the mysterious thing. Easier to manipulate something that's complicated. Yeah. Yeah. When Jesus made it plain, it makes it plain here that he's not coming back this earth. For one thing in John 14, he said, I go and prepare a place for you. I'm going away from here to prepare a place for you. But notice here in chapter 4, 17, it says, um, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. There is a catching up. There's a caught up part of this. With them in the air. Where are we going to meet the Lord? In the air. And then what time frame comes after that? So shall we ever be with the Lord. So once you, the, we'll meet the Lord on Judgment Day in the air, in the clouds. Okay? So shall we ever be with the Lord. There's no coming back here. There's no, there's no place in that for, for secrecy. There's no place in that for a return to the earth. Okay? So it's all just made up. referring to when Jesus comes again. That's part of this. The scheme is just touches on so many things. You're right that a lot of people look at that as the kingdom has not yet come. Okay, that's, a, that's one reason we emphasize so much that, yes, the church was established. The kingdom has been here. People have entered the kingdom. And um, that's what Colossians 1, 13, 14 teaches. We're, we come out of the world of darkness, the domain of darkness, and we're we're transformed, we're carried into the kingdom of his son. It says it right there. So you're right.
I've never heard that one. Have y'all heard that, what Paul just said? Cemetery. My, my thought is to leave. I never. I don't linger. That is a good point. Uh, James is saying that one motivation, well, Chris, Chris was saying first, one motivation for these schemes is that to delay responsibility because if the kingdom is not here, then you can wait, or some scenario in your mind maybe is wait until the kingdom is here to, to exert your responsibility in God. James is saying that another motivation may be to be politically um, out there, be politi politically sensitive. People have a great desire to, to um, help the Bible's prophecies relate to things happening today. And there's no need for that. There's, there's, no, there's no need for, for uh, going beyond what the book says. had a big problem with that. They were still thinking more in terms of an earthly established kingdom. One thing that James touched on there a second ago 
was that this, when you, when you, miss, when you miss any interpretation of Scripture, but especially this, you're giving fuel to the mockers. You're, you're giving, you're helping those who, who make fun of the Bible, uh, you're giving fuel to them. Not that we're responsible that they think that way, but we're trying to bring them to Scripture. And if we're, if we're out here trying to set dates for the Lord's coming and, and trying to say, well, we're surely in the days now of, of the, the signs are all pointing and, and then nothing happens, you know, then that's just that's giving fuel to the fire. And it's, it's unnecessary because the Lord said that he's going to come as a thief in the night. Be that way. Got to be like the Bereans and search the scriptures. But if you notice here in verse uh, 17 and 18, uh, Paul says, uh, We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. God's going to bring them. Okay? And with his power, because, you know, we believe. We believe God created the world, we believe he brought Jesus back from the dead. We believe in God. He has no trouble doing this. He has no trouble bringing those bodies out of the grave, uniting them with the souls that have passed on, and then at the very same time, almost simultaneously, those who are alive changing their bodies and preparing them to get ready to go. And so uh, if we believe one thing, we believe it all. Yeah, I was was wanting to get to the rapture ideas, but um, we had to skip some things, 13 and 14 to get there, but we got there.